When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, and welcome to the FT's U.S. Election Podcast. I'm Courtney Weaver, the FT's U.S. Political Correspondent, and I'm joined here in Washington with Barney Jobson, the FT's U.S. Policy Correspondent. Good to be here. This week, we're going to be talking about Monday night's debate, the first uh, face-off between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, uh, and digesting what happened there. We'll also be looking at uh, African-American voters, a demographic we once thought was in Hillary Clinton's corner and now seems to be a little bit more apathetic about her candidacy. And thirdly, we'll be looking at the ground game in Florida of both campaigns. Uh, So let's start with the debate. Barney, (laughs) we've been waiting for this moment since since June, uh, since we knew who the two general election candidates were. What did you think? Well, the consensus of the pundits in the last couple of days has become very firmly that Hillary won um, in a big way. I think it's a little more mixed than that. The debate kind of divided into two halves, if you like. I mean, initially, Trump did very well. And and this is certainly what the conventional wisdom says now in the first 20, 30 minutes, when he was talking about economics and trade. um, He did well because he got his messages out there about how America's not winning anymore, we're losing jobs, you know, the country's not great, we need to fix that, you know, the messages we hear on the campaign trail. And I think he made those points very strongly. It got worse for him in the second part of the debate, when Hillary began to throw uh, more zingers his way, attacked him on things like his taxation, comments he's made on climate change in the past. And he either kind of lost his temper a little bit and got pulled into discussions that weren't very constructive for him, or he started kind of offering rather long, meandering explanations uh, of things where he got lost in the weeds. So Hillary definitely had a stronger second half but what was your what was your take yeah i think it's the same thing i mean to give to give trump some credit obviously having a 90 minute primetime debate is a very hard thing to do if you've never done that before and obviously hillary clinton as she you know very well articulated during the debate has much more experience in these sort of things than he does i so i was watching the debate along with trump's uh, campaign staff in orlando florida And it was the same sort of reaction. You know, the first half, they were very giddy. They were excited he was doing so well. And I think even they had the impression in the second half, or the last third at least, that he kind of ran out of things to say. He had moved past his his big stump speech points. And you really just saw him kind of, the fact that he hadn't prepared that well, which he was kind of bragging about beforehand and kind of mocking Clinton for spending so much time preparing, that really came out when you had, you know, he was asked about his tax releases and instead of kind of pivoting to a topic that was more in his favor, uh, he kind of just dug himself more and more and more into the weeds and wasn't able to kind of bring himself out and, and redirect the conversation. So we're already hearing that Trump is going to be practicing a lot more for the next debate to avoid this problem. Yeah, he, he passed up a couple of big opportunities to really try and skewer uh, Clinton on issues like the Clinton Foundation and most notably her private email server. I mean, we've heard in recent days from other reports that, you know, he was prepared to hit her on these issues, but for whatever reason, 
he didn't. So those were missed opportunities. On Clinton herself, I think one thing she did well was to smile a lot, to seem relaxed on stage. I think she kind of put across an image that was contrary to this uh, perception of her as a kind of cold, calculating machine politician. So that's probably helpful. As we've said, she did well attacking Trump, you know, even though everyone deplores negativity in these, these campaigns, actually her attacks were quite effective. I thought what she didn't do so well was present her policy ideas, ironically. She certainly listed a lot of policy ideas, but it did begin to feel like a never-ending laundry list of proposals, uh, and there wasn't really an overarching message. I mean, we've said before that she had not presenting this vision of where she wants to take the country. And I think, again, she failed to do that. It wasn't clear what all these policies added up to. Right. And I think that's exactly something we've seen this entire campaign, you know, in all her major speeches. It feels like she has all these kind of pet issues and issues she knows is important to different constituencies that she wants to bring up to make sure that they feel, you know, recognized and heard. But by doing that, she kind of detracts from having kind of a clear message. And, you know, even in her campaign slogan, she's recycled through so many over the campaign. And it's kind of these generic slogans like, you know, stronger together. And and really, until Trump was her, her general election opponent, she didn't really have a message. And her message has now become, I am not Trump, <laughs> which, you know, is effective because he's obviously, you know, has turned off a large uh, section of the voting population But at the same time, it really, like you said, it doesn't help her to create a clear message. Yeah, and I think also let's wait to see the first real polls that come out after the debate to see whether the uh, kind of the the consensus of the commentariat is really borne out. Because, I mean, I think one point worth bearing in mind is that a lot of the pundits and reporters like us are perhaps inclined to kind of think more favorably of somebody in the debate who's talked in nice, clean, clear sentences, ordered thoughts, Trump didn't do that so well, but, you know, the way Trump talks very directly and simplistically is going to work well with a lot of voters, even if it doesn't work well with the kind of the political class in Washington. So there may still be some surprises to come in what the polls show. Exactly. And I I mean, talking to Trump supporters afterwards, you know, even the ones who acknowledge he could have done better. You know, one woman told me he's not perfection, but he speaks like I speak. And I think people appreciate that and they appreciate the fact that he's human and he doesn't come off as robotic I mean, I think the the main question is basically the voters who are undecided, has this debate swayed them in one direction or the other? Another issue that we've been monitoring this campaign is looking at voting demographics that, you know, we would think would be in Hillary Clinton's corner. um, But polls show that enthusiasm among these groups isn't as high as we once thought. Uh, Barney, you were in North Carolina last week and you spent a few days down there talking to African-American voters. What did you learn? That's right. I went to North Carolina because it's got a a large African-American population and African-Americans are typically the most loyal demographic group for the Democratic Party. North Carolina has a population, I think, 27%, 26 27% African-American. It's a swing state, obviously. And so the African-American vote there is crucial. And what I wanted to find is how much energy, how much excitement is there among African-Americans for Hillary Clinton. African-Americans really helped President Obama get over the line in 2008-2012. There was record turnout of black voters in those years. In fact, in 2008, for the first time uh, in history, African-Americans turned out in higher numbers or in a higher proportion than white voters. So that was vital for Obama. If Hillary's going to win, she needs to recreate that electoral coalition. What I found is that she's got a problem on her hands in North Carolina. There really is an enthusiasm gap among the uh, the black voters I spoke to. Uh, I started off going to a Sunday morning church service at a predominantly African-American church and 
spoke to people afterwards and asked everyone the kind of the general question, what do you think of the campaign so far? And almost to a man and woman, everyone's response, their first response was, I'm disappointed in both the candidates. They're bickering, they're arguing with each other all the time, they're not talking about what's interesting, what's important to the voters. So it was really a kind of pox on both their houses response. The first response was not, I don't like Donald Trump. It was not, I think Donald Trump's a racist. It was really disappointment with both candidates. Um, and that's kind of the root of this lack of enthusiasm. And when I did turn to talk to, um, to voters about Trump, they were often reluctant to kind of label him as a racist. The Clinton campaign's been very quick to label him as a racist. But people instead th said things like, well, you know, I've never met the guy. I don't know the guy. I don't want to judge him. Or he's misunderstood. Or, you know, he speaks very bluntly, but that doesn't make, make him a bigot. So it felt like some of the attack lines from Clinton are not resonating with, the, with some members of the African-American community, at least. And just to kind of talk about some of the numbers, African-Americans have got to be clear about this. They are going to vote for Clinton in overwhelming numbers. There's still no doubt about that, despite everything I just said. The question is how many of them are going to vote, how many of them are going to turn out. Is this lack of enthusiasm for Clinton going to reduce turnout? For Obama at the peak, 69% of African-Americans came out and voted. For John Kerry in 2004, it was just 61%. If turnout for Clinton among African Americans goes back down to 61%, then that's going to spell real trouble for her in North Carolina and other states with big African American populations like Florida, uh, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. So, yes, she's got a problem. Uh, President Obama, her husband Bill Clinton, have both looked on favorably in the African American community, and she's got them out on the campaign trail trying to rally support. In fact, Obama, in a, in a notable speech last week, said that if this community, if this African-American community does not turn out to vote for me, I will take that as a personal insult. So that was a very kind of strident comment. But again, did it get through to everyone? It's hard to say. Right. I mean, I think what's striking is, you know, you look at the numbers and you see how poorly Trump is polling among African-Americans. And, you know, the narrative over the past few weeks has been, you know, Trump has an African-American problem, which he does, obviously. But I think, you know, you're so right that it's it's turnout, too. And if she doesn't get the turnout numbers that Obama had, she's in big trouble. I mean, what about Trump's, you know, Trump has been making this this argument over the past few weeks to the African-American communities that it can't get any worse. You know, look at these police shootings, um, look at the problems with the economy. Is that something that resonates or do you think that people think he's talking out of turn? I think it cuts two ways and obviously different people have different views on the one hand, you know, those kind of comments can be seen as, as grossly insulting, unfair, incorrect generalizations. And in that sense, you know, some people do view them as, as outright racism. On the other hand, and, and it may be uh, the minority of people uh, think like this. On the other hand, I think he does tap into a sense that life has not got better for a lot of African-American people in eight years of the Obama presidency. There are certainly good things that the president's done for the African-American community, and people talk to me about uh, his health care reforms, about the way he's kind of forgiven student loans. So there's been progress. But people also recognize that relations between the African-American community and the police force seem to be as bad as they have been for a, a very long time. So by reminding people that, you know, there's not been massive improvement under Obama, I think Trump can plant the idea in at least some people's heads of why would it get any better under Hillary Clinton, given the way things have gone under the first black president. So, you know, he, he may he may change a few minds there. And, you know, as we've said, 
changing a few minds in a very tight race could make a big difference. And just one more thing I think it's important to note out, you know, it was African-American Democratic voters that helped Hillary Clinton win the primary. I mean, she just she did so much better uh, among black voters than Bernie Sanders did. Uh, And something I just noticed on the trail, especially in the South, in states like South Carolina, African-American voters seem to be one of her most enthusiastic constituencies. You know, we always talk about this enthusiasm gap for Clinton and black voters, at least the ones I talk to, they seem to be among some of her most enthusiastic supporters. I guess the question is whether that group makes up enough of the, the black population to actually carry her over the edge. Yeah. And so one thing that's important here is that enthusiasm not doesn't just translate into, you know, a single vote. It also affects whether people are going to get out there and do volunteering for the campaign. Are they going to make phone calls? Are they going to provide donations? Are they going to provide people with rides to the polls? So that kind of hardcore group you're you're thinking about is very important for, for those kind of things. But a broader lack of enthusiasm will limit the number of, of, of foot soldiers out there kind of ginning up other people to, uh, to vote. So beyond getting her surrogates like uh, Bill Clinton and, and the president on the campaign trail, of course, the way for Hillary to try and get people to the polls is, is the ground game. Uh, and Courtney, you're just back from, from Florida. And I know you did some reporting on, on how the ground games of both campaigns are looking there. What did you find? So I think my big question going into this trip was, everyone has been saying for months, Trump has no ground game. You know, he's not running a traditional campaign. He doesn't have the infrastructure. Uh, and, you know, in the primary, he didn't really have a ground game, but still won. Does he have a ground game this time? Uh, and is it working? The impression I came away from the trip with is Trump's ground game was actually a lot more developed than I expected, to be perfectly honest. I think he didn't have one in the state of Florida up until, you know, late August. But I think there's a growing realization inside his campaign among senior advisors, among his family members, that they obviously need a traditional ground game to win the election. You can't win a general election without one. So they've been opening up a lot of offices there in the past couple of weeks, really doing more traditional efforts to get out of the vote, going door to door, doing phone banks. And so I spent time, you know, looking at the Clinton ground game and the Trump ground game. And I think what I was most surprised with was how similar they actually are to one another. You know, they're both kind of using the same tactics. Clinton's campaign is obviously much more sophisticated, especially technologically. They have this very cool app on their phones that they use. It's almost like a a Pokemon Go sort of thing where you have all these different games to get points, uh, whereas Trump's, you know, is relying much more on old school methods. They use landline phones in their offices, for instance. The Clinton campaign has iPads, cell phones that they give to volunteers. But I think it's going to be less of a big difference than people think. And Florida's looking very close. And did you did you witness any revealing interactions between campaign volunteers and, and ordinary voters when you were down there? Yeah, I mean, I think it was... It's just it's so hard at this point to tell which which way this election is going to go, especially in a state like Florida, which is so diverse, you know, very different populations, you know, really big evangelical Christian population, so many Hispanics, so many African-Americans. It's partly it's sort of the South. It's sort of not. And I guess I think one of the most interesting experiences for me was that I was walking around a Republican neighborhood with the Trump campaign and they would go door to door to figure out whether the household was voting for Trump or not. And, I mean, some people were very enthusiastic. And then other people, you know, their neighbors who lived right next door, living in similar houses. Um, It was a largely white neighborhood, kind of similar age demographic. And some people were 
completely repulsed by Trump as a candidate and said they had no intention of voting for him, even though they were reliable Republican voters. I think it's just such an emotional election and people have such an emotional reaction to both candidates that that's really going to play a bigger factor in this race than other years. One thing that struck me beyond the the African-American population in North Carolina and also in Ohio is that whoever you talk to on the Clinton side, there was not really a lot of energy and excitement about her, whereas all the energy I found was was among those pro-Trump supporters. And and it was kind of the opposite of that in 2012 when Obama had all the energy. Uh, Mitt Romney's supporters were in some ways a bit lackluster. I mean, what did it look like in Florida? Was there energy behind the Trump campaign? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you're – the Trump campaign is obviously a lot less – uh, well organized in the Clinton campaign and among the Trump supporters who were actually volunteering and working on the campaign, there was this real feeling that they were making a difference, you know, that they could win their candidate the election and that they were part of this movement and something the country hadn't seen before. Uh, whereas Clinton, it was more people who were scared of Trump and felt like it was their moral obligation to help the Clinton campaign or they'd been involved in democratic politics. But it's it just, it's so well organized, it's almost like they were part of this bigger kind of machine, like working for a big corporate enterprise or something, rather than working for an individual candidate, which the Trump campaign felt like. Yeah, back to the uh, back to the idea of the the age old Clinton machine just churning away. Speaking of churning away, we should probably get back to churning away our own articles. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can check out the FT's election forecast at ft.com/polls, and you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at. Courtney underscore FT and Barney's at Barney Jobson. You can also sign up for our daily campaign trail newsletter, White House Countdown at FT.com forward slash NBE. And that stands for news by email. So again, that's FT.com forward slash NBE. And be sure to download FT Politics wherever you get your podcast, including iTunes, Stitcher and Acast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.